Okay, let's go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, Lord, you've promised to grant anything we pray in your name. So teach us to pray aright and to praise you with all the saints in the fullness of life everlasting. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, oh, so many things to talk about. Put some money in the basket for the Aboriginal school where Rachel Chester will serve this summer. Um, they don't expect it, but if Rachel can show up with $1,000, it'll kind of grease the skids. So uh, <laughs> it's always nice when you go to one of these places and you, know, you can show up with a little bit. Of, because you know, I've absolutely, you know, money makes the world go round. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, the music was nice this morning, especially because we had, you know, you got about 10 kids up there playing cellos and violins who are probably under the age of 12. I mean, I hope I live long enough to hear them when they're 18, right? I mean, imagine that. And the, great, the best thing about them is <clears throat> there's enough girls up there to marry all the Strutzel boys. <laughs> so, I mean, it's quite remarkable. I mean, that's almost a miracle of God in itself. You know, you get that many, you know, who all play a stringed instrument. It's very nice. So that, that's good. Uh, voters meeting is coming up in a couple of weeks. You should read through all the fine print. Um, you know, probably the big noise is a call for Gretchen Shield. Just let me talk to you about that just a second to introduce that. You'll get this in the meeting too, but, um, it doesn't affect you at all. It favors her tremendously. So there's no reason not to do it. She worked really hard and, uh, did a lot of classes and worked with the pastors and went through a couple of interviews and took a lot of exams. So uh, it's always a nice thing. Uh, when somebody can be called. There's advantages to her. There's even tax advantages, although some noble atheists are challenging the fact that, you know, that the pastor should have a housing allowance, which is kind of an advantage to having a call. You know, they're not challenging, you know, like the oil guys or the, you know, the, the hedge funds. Or, I mean, you need to find the place where you can make the biggest dent, which is clearly the overpay of pastors in America. So God bless them. And and they happen to be challenging them in our federal circuit, so it will affect us first, you know, before it affects other people. Who knows what will happen? Um, it's a, the world is a strange, strange place. So, but anyway, you should come for that. And I would, you know, I can't vote for you, but it's a noble thing that she's done, and it's a good thing for St. John to do. So um, while I won't tell you how to vote, you should vote yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm sorry to bum you out about the, uh, with the sermon, so it's kind of interesting. I mean, you be me, you know, I mean, somebody cutting your lungs out and giving it to somebody else is not the most happy topic, but here, here's the thing. I know, that you, I know that your lives are difficult, and I know that you come here to be refreshed. And so, uh, you, know, we try to, you know, we try to bundle a package together in 59 and a half minutes that will encourage you to go out and be a Christian. The problem is, with the way the world is presently working, is that it's, it's on a track to do horrible, horrible things to people. We've seen this a couple of times, uh, you know, over the past hundred years or so. And one of the, the great single, you know, you start to try to pull threads to make sense of all this. One of the great single threads that can sort of be pulled out of this is the pride or the hubris of people who think that when they get in power, they can control themselves. And what happens is what he almost, and, and, and you know this in your own business, in your own practice, whatever you do, in your own family, when you have somebody who has all the power, there's very few people, I would not bet on anybody except the baby Jesus himself, who's able to control himself, not to exploit other people for their own good. Of course, deeply in this is the misunderstanding of human nature, the, try, try the enlightenment notion that we're good, not bad. 
right? And so one of the basic things about the church is that we're, by nature we're bad, by nature we're not good. You know, and people who would argue that by nature we're good, I would just ask them to read you know, the last 4,000 years of recorded history, okay? In the last 4,000 years of recorded history, if you go back and read, you know, there's been about 175 years where nobody recorded a war, and it's probably just because the newspaper missed it, okay? I mean, if you read the history of the world, one way to write the history of the world is the history of war, which is the, you know, the, 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 the attack and exploitation of other people. And it comes in various forms, from slavery to low pay to long hours to uh, constant... I don't know, you know, if you read in the Wall Street Journal editorial side, middle was a obit yesterday for a Chinese dissident who died, but who spent some measure of time in Chinese prison camps... One of the things, you know, and I had already preached the sermon, and I went home last night, and I sort of caught up on some reading. One of the things that he said was so interesting was he said, you know, one of the things that were suffered by people in Chinese prison camps were that they would say, hey, the general needs a kidney and bitner, you look like a match. And so there was sort of forced extraction of people's organs for transplant to more important people. And he went back, and there was a couple of times when he went back and did some undercover work. He'd been there for so long, he could kind of move in and out. Even did a 60 Minutes one. And so you think to yourself, you know, you think to yourself, well, you know, that's what they do in Chinese prison camps, you know. And you kind of go, mm, you know, mm. And then you see it pop up in the Journal of uh, Medical Ethics, and you kind of go to yourself. And, and why we can't stitch together the Holocaust and prison camps and abortion and, and, and all the rest of these things. Why we can't do that? The reason we can't do that is because we think too nobly of ourselves. We think that we have the answer, and we think, like Adam in the garden, we are the stories we tell about ourselves, that if we just had power, we could handle it. Right? If we just had everything, we could take care of it. The history of the human race is that we cannot handle that. And all the people who are telling you, if I just had the power... All the people who are telling you that, those are the people you should run the other way. And that comes in all shapes and stripes. It doesn't matter about the color of your skin. doesn't matter about um, your political party. doesn't matter what continent you live on. This is a singular thing. And the church has always been good about identifying the singular things in human nature which will bring us to ruin. So anyway, occasionally, all the way back, that's all in my mind as I'm sort of writing this sermon where... In the gospel, Jesus is exactly the opposite of that. In every case, Jesus goes to the broken and says, I want to make you what you were always meant to be. I want to make you fully human. I want to restore you body and soul. I want to give you everything. Which is, And I want to do that selflessly. I want to do it because I love you and I want what's best for you, as opposed to I only want what's best for me. Right? So, I mean, just, just be on the lookout. There are, there are things on which... And the problem is... When things start to move, there's always some touch point where it gets beyond and you can't control it anymore. It gets all cattywampus. And then you can't, you can't actually stop it, maybe for a good long time. And you end up with killing fields, you end up with holocausts, you end up with prison camps. Uh, hmm. Trying to decide how political I can be. It stuns me that Bernie Sanders honeymooned in the Soviet Union at precisely the time that Solzhenitsyn was writing about people being taken to the gulags. 
it's not really a political comment. It's not about that socialism don't, doesn't work and you can ask about whether you can scale Denmark and make it work in the United States. There's a moral blindness. And I would say Trump, when Trump has to say 2 Corinthians 2, by the way, I can go in that direction very easily. I mean, there's no, there's no holding back. I mean, here's the thing. But you have to make your own decisions about that, unlike Gretchen Scheel, where you just vote yes. Okay, so, um, you know, here's the thing. Because we've looked into Gretchen's heart, and she's not running for president, which is, you know. But, I mean, here's the thing. The notion that you can use other people any way you want. Right? So, for example, I get everybody in. You saw where Hillary Clinton slipped up and said that a mother has the choice of an unborn person. You saw this last week? She misspoke, said unborn person, which is anathema to people who are pro-abortion. And she took all kinds of heat from pro-abortion people who said, she said person, you can't say person. And it was just so interesting because you can't avoid it at the deepest level, you know. Everybody know what's, go, what's going on. At the deepest level, you know there's not a difference between you and other human beings. And if you think there is, and this is where the church is wrong often. Anytime the church support, I mean, here's the thing. Well, jeez. <laughs> this is why there's not an American flag in the sanctuary. Because that is not American territory. You can put one in the dark ballroom if you want. But the thing is, is, I mean, I love you and you served your country and all that, but that's not American territory, just so you know. I mean, it's not, right? It's not. That's Jesus' territory. That's the body of Christ, right? And this, we always have to watch ourselves. Because anytime you think, this is the, 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 anytime you think you're better than some other of God's created human beings, the answer is going to be deadly, right? The, deadly, the answer is going to be wrong. Every time. It doesn't matter. Every, every time. So the gospel is always about Jesus saying, hey, we're pulling people up out of the muck, out of the sin, out of brokenness, not in a prideful way, but in a, hey, I love you and you should be restored. So anyway, the point of all that, I know, it's, it's, you know, it's, I know that was a more difficult sermon than you normally get. I also think occasionally you shouldn't be surprised because you know, probably you're not hunting around in the journal of you know, medical ethics. And then when it gets here finally, in a year or two, you're going to say, what in the world? Because this is how it will happen. You will have somebody, somebody of yours who will be a coin flip in a hospital bed someplace. And somebody uh, will say, hey, you know, wouldn't you like to, you know. And, what, and the key thing is, is that they don't let people die first. They'll say, Can't, couldn't we take their organs now because they'll work better. I, I told you with my own mother, I was one of the things I was stunned by. And I'd been in hospital rooms a hundred times when people died. And I went through all the stuff with all the people. And I knew what to listen for. And I watched it happen. And I felt like I'd been hoodwinked as soon as they gave her, the, you know, the first shot of morphine. Because everybody changed. And it was clear that they weren't going to hospice at all. That's not what they were talking about. The shift changed. The supervisor came in. People, and I'm like, holy cow. All that was just for show. Right? Because I knew it was going to happen, but they acted like they didn't know what was going to happen. Everybody knew it was going to happen. And that wasn't among the choices that were given. It was fascinating to watch, even though there was nothing else that could be done. It shouldn't have been an act of will. It should have been an act of God. So by that, I felt hoodwinked and betrayed by people who should know better. Well, you know, that was a very desperate situation, but how much more in these other things where we just say, hey, you're feeling a little bit depressed, but you've had a little blood pressure and you're a vegan, so you're a prime candidate for offering your heart to somebody else. Wouldn't you like to do that? Yeah, just one last thing. Couldn't you do one last thing because nothing else in your life has worked out? We can talk people into anything, okay? 
Now, the difference you have to see then, what you have to see yourself is the church. And there's going to be a point, and this is Hebrews now. Now we're getting all the way there. You're going to, there's going to be a point where you're Hebrews and you say, we're no longer the majority culture and we should repent of the fact that we screwed that up. Okay? Because what happened is the church got brought in to be on the, the wrong side of things a lot over the course of just, say, American history. So, so here's the thing. Okay, we screwed that up and now we take our medicine like we always do when we sin. You know, you might escape, but maybe not. So you should know who you are and what it will mean. And so last week, it's like, come on, stand up straight. You know, lift your chins. You haven't suffered to the point of shedding blood yet. That's where we were. And then, you know, in the great epistle reading for today, and I hope when you read that, you were saying, oh, this is what Hebrews described. Go back and read it. What was in... What was in the epistle for today is exactly what he... It was an expansion of what Hebrews described. This is a holy city. This is the Lamb of God. We've been all about... This is behind the curtain. This never closes. The gates are always open. Why is it always open? Because why, why can your city gates be always open when you're in Jerusalem? Because there's no threat. Why is there no threat? Because the unclean and the sinners have been left behind and everybody here has been hallowed. And people who come in, the Gentiles, the nations, the people who come in in glory holiness, have all been forgiven, and those things have been set aside. So, you know, it's the one place where people say, you know, fire all the cops and give the money to, you keep hearing this about once a week on the news, and their demands, among the demands are they should fire all the cops, and I'm like, do you know what Chicago would look like? I'm not, but do you know what Chicago would look like with no cops? I'm not trying to make a pro-cop sort of necessarily and all the things that have happened, but you don't understand human nature if you think you can just turn people loose and it's all going to be wildflowers and sunshine, right? Because what's the mistake? It's the basic mistake of the church, which says people are horrible. I'm horrible. Every, we, every, every week we kneel down. When we kneel down, starting in a week, you'll get to kneel down again, and you're going to say, I'm horrible. And help, forgive me for being horrible and help me not to be horrible. That's pretty much it. Okay, so people who tell you, they shake your hand looking at you and I tell you how, just how great this is going to be for you, you should run the other way, right? I don't know what the answer is, I mean, especially given the political system. I'm not endorsing anybody about anything. And maybe, you know, all I'm saying is people who are spinning a story that is not your story, okay? It is not your, this is not the church's story. The church's story is that everybody is valuable, and particularly for the body of Christ, we will fix things in such a way that we will care for our own and then be a witness to the world. That's what Hebrews is all about. I mean, you're living in Hebrews. It's just the luck of the draw that we got there. But you're, you're living out right now, and you should, you should see it. Because what the world is saying is exactly opposite what the church says. So you, you live, as the Chinese say, in interesting times, Right? So anyway, now, one of the great things, the reliable things about the world is that Karen will, in fact, have something clever to say about all of this. Miss Crawford. premature removal of, of organs and the premature ending of life. 
correct? Right. I'm, so I'm an organ donor, and you can have whatever bits of me you want when I'm done using them. <laughs> <laughs> but the notion that we would encourage people to die, and then we would encourage them to die in a way that would let somebody else use their bits, nobody, nobody has a pure enough heart for that. Right? And this is the same thing, just to push your question, Karen, this is the same thing that happens uh, when a pastor is with a family at the bedside. There's a difference between prolonging life and prolonging death. So in general, what we try to do is prolong life. Why do we do this? Because life belongs to God. It's from the first commandment, I'm God, or you know, the fifth commandment, don't kill, or even, you know, you can suss it out of life lies in the blood, so the Jews, the Hebrews don't drink the blood because life is in the blood. Remember, <laughs> confessions of a knife, everybody dies from lack of oxygen to the brain because the blood stops flowing and that makes you die. So this, this ancient understanding that life is in the blood. So the point is we don't make God's decisions in advance. But when those decisions are made... You know, it'd be a kind thing to give on, you know, whatever you've got to somebody else. You know, or not, if you have a scruple about it. It's it's okay. But so thank you for the question of clarification. I'm not against that. In fact I'm for it. But I wouldn't tell you what to do about it, but I but I'm for it. But let things play out. You see, it's when people step ahead. There's only one sin, it's that's when you play God. Right? And this is the ultimate this is the ultimate example of playing God when you decide that you are the prince of life and death with regard to another person. How's that? You all right? Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. No, I just, yeah, it's all, it's all good. I mean, my sister was an organ donor. Yeah, right. No, I think it's, it's, it's fantastic, you know, giving it yourself. The Lord is um, going to put everybody's pieces back together again at the right time. He'll be able to find them. Don't worry. It'll be like, it'll be like a big crossword puzzle. <laughs> Uh, with all the pieces mixed upside down, right? All right, anything else you got cooking? Y'all good? All right, I rest my case. Uh, you know, let's try to do this number six point. Where we were last time is that Jesus, um, you know, you're moving through life. You're part of the church. It's going to look different because you're in rebellion against the world. You're going to suffer. Jesus suffered. The disciples suffered. The Hebrews suffered. You're going to suffer of course, you work hard to minimize suffering when you can. Occasionally, God himself is going to let you suffer, sometimes innocently, sometimes for your own stupidity and sinfulness. But God will not destroy you. And if you play along, those sufferings will help you be a better witness or a better servant of Christ. And so the noble tradition of martyrs, for example, where people die in the faith and um, it's almost inexplicable how they die and people sort of marvel at it, right? My, you know, the great thing about, you know, Bonhoeffer's great thing about where he didn't need to be executed and he was executed anyway and they stripped him naked and took him out in the woods and um, they gave him a moment to prayer and the, the, the report came back from the guards. He prayed as if someone was listening. That's a great, I mean, that's a great final thing to be said about you. He prayed, he prayed as if someone was listening. It's just a, you know, so that witness sort of, you know, sort of carries it. He prayed, you may or may not like him, politically, theologically, whatever, but at his death he prayed as if someone was listening. 
And that's a great, you know, that's a great prompt to other people. So, you know, if your own life can be like that, that's what, that's what happens. Now, where this finishes up is, you know, it's almost as if there's an acceleration at the end of Hebrews where he's sort of begging them with this, almost this staccato list of these are the things you do and this is how it works out. So uh, I'm, I am going to respect the number. So I'm going to start you at Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, just because this is so interesting. Uh, Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 20, I'm just so I'm at, I'm at num, on number six. I'm at number one on number six, and I'm at Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. So let's hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. So hold on. Our hope comes from a story. Our story is different. Let's hold on to that. Hold fast. For he who promises is faithful. At the end of the day, you, you pay your money and you take your choice. Jesus is either telling you the truth or he's lying to you. If he's telling you the truth, you hold on for all your worth. If he's lying to you, you should find somebody else. So, and let us consider, and then this is the interesting thing, how to stir up one another to love and good works. So it's partly what I, now, now what's interesting, I gave you the stirrup. It was way better when the Blackhawks were still playing Stanley Cup hockey. But um, this word, right? This word means literally to stir up a provocation which literally jabs or cuts somebody so they must respond. This is high sticking. This is basically biblical high sticking. What I'm supposed to do to you, what you're supposed to do to me, I'm supposed to poke you till it bleeds. Which, you know, I'm not sure is consonant with the district office and the synodical regulations. But, I mean, here it is in the scriptures, right? So, now some people have, you know, thinner skins, and sometimes that's good. In, in this sense, it's good, so you don't need quite as much prompt. It's like sometimes you have a child with a soft conscience. You very little, if you have a child with a soft conscience or a spouse with a soft conscience, you just need very little, very little, right? Because you don't want them to bleed to death. But actually, this means that I'm supposed to irritate you and you're supposed to irritate me. Sometimes Lutheran's a little too good at this. Uh, so I, mean, I almost hesitate to give you the, the biblical foundation for whatever it is you think you're going to do next. But, um, you know, in any case, how about stimulate? How about that as the last one? We're supposed to stimulate each other toward love, right? Toward good works. And then the next thing, not neglecting to meet together. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you don't come to church every Sunday, you can't be a Christian eventually. Just got to get that in there so you don't think I'm being too. But I mean, here's the thing. It's the Sabbath day, the day of healing. It's the day that God serves you. It's the third commandment. It's Hebrews. I mean, we have a run of, run of folks. We bump into a run of folks who are on, you know, a two times a year or 12 times a year kind of schedule. It's not that they're not Christians. It's not that they're not going to heaven. It is that they're in danger. It is that they're not as useful as they could be. I mean, the story is is that we're supposed to understand our lives to be in the image of Christ who gave everything in the will of his Heavenly Father for you, right? So the whole book of Hebrews is about, about, about following Jesus. So you're supposed to give everything in the will of the Heavenly Father in the will of the Heavenly Father for each other, okay? That really eliminates about 99% of the questions that people have about the church, if that premise could be accepted, about how much time I give, how much money I give, how I treat other people, you know, the respect I show for other members of the congregation, how pastors treat people, how people treat pastors. Pretty much it erases all the problems we got in the church. 
if you think about it. Because what, what am I thinking about you all the time? This is what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about I sort of size you up and I know what's in human beings, but I know you're baptized and you've been to the Eucharist and you come to church and you love the liturgy and you say your prayers and you care about... So, you know, when I look at you, what I'm supposed to be thinking is, this is actually what a pastor does. A pastor says, Mrs. Hecht, how could I get more out of Mrs. Hecht? Could I get more out of Mrs. Hecht? I'd check with Mr. Hecht and see that first. I, and I'll just say, you know, what sort of... But that's how we look at each one of you. We say, Strutzel, man, can we get more out of Strutzel right now? Or, you know... With a guy, with a guy who has six cellos around the house, is he just like, you know, that's all he, you know? So yeah, you're not laughing. So this is, a, <laughs> this is a see, see here it is. I mean, partly what I'm not to torture you, not to make you angry, not to make you squeal in pain, but to say to yourself, this is the story of Jesus. This is the body of Christ. This is the church that we've got. How can it get better? And so we're always looking. This is just a variation on find your spot, work your spot. So we're always looking around, saying. Hey, can you, can you do a little bit better? Can Jesus get a little more out of you? What needs to be tuned up? What's in pain and needs to be healed? What's a resource that's untapped? That's all in, incite each other to do good. That's what the church is supposed to be about. This notion that somehow you have this siloed relationship with Jesus and you show up and I, you have 400 silos sitting and then you all go home and nothing else happens. That's not in the scriptures, friends. I don't know where we got that idea, but that is not in the scriptures. The scriptures is about the body of Christ. The scripture is about the community. The scripture is about how can we stimulate each other. Maybe not in the way your mother or father stimulated you, incited you, disciplined you. Maybe in a way that Jesus worked with his disciples or especially worked with sinners. When Jesus got next to a sinner, sinners hardly ever noticed. Read through. The only people that Jesus really rubs the wrong way are the people who are always saying, I got it all figured out and you should sit down and be quiet. That makes Jesus a little cranky. But in general, nine out of ten stories in the scriptures are about Jesus bumping up against people and sort of being sad about their situation, helping them, or being sad about their decisions in life. And he said to the man, sell everything you have and come be disciple number 13. And the guy went home sad because he loved his stuff so much. And Jesus was sad too. Right? So, I mean, at least sort of put that all together when you start to think about what it means. And I've sort of given you this if you move down the page. I'm kind of at F where habits matter. This is actually the Greek word here for habits is ethos. It's a common English word. In fact, much of what I talked about you in the first 10 minutes is about the ethos of our community versus the ethos of the nation, right? So, you know... You know, let us consider how to stir one and up to love and good works. And I just say to you, how do you stir people up to love? By loving them. How do you stir people up to good? By doing good to them. So, I mean, don't get, don't get too excited here. What you're asking yourself is not to poke somebody so much as it is to love them into following Jesus. Encouraging one another all the more as you say the day, big day, big D, draw near, right? So this is our ethos. This is who we're supposed to be as the church. This is how we'll survive as the church. If the church doesn't do this, in fact, if the church copies the world, this is, see, this is the great, talk about trajectories that have been launched, you know, that can't be gotten back, right? The, the, the launch of mainline Protestant Christianity in America to basically become, you know, ersatz political parties. You know? Just kind of think about that. 
you know, when it all goes to ash, and you can make your own decision about whether the LCMS will, this will happen to the LCMS, and whether Lutheranism will exist in a couple hundred years. You know, but you, sometimes you launch things, and you cannot pull them back. And you can launch them in the way of the world, or you can also launch them in the way of being defined by what you hate rather than what you love, which is often how more conservative Christians or denominations meet their end. I told you about the Villa Park Soldiers of the Sailors Club, right? It's one of my favorite stories. Mario, who was the painter at Princeton Seminary. God rest his soul. Mario Mueller, I said, we, he, he invited Kirby and I over to dinner one night. He said, oh, we got there, we were so nervous. What was his wife's name, Marie? Harriet. See, Harriet. We were so nervous. I said, why are you so nervous, Mario? This guy's like 68 years old. He said, I've never done this before. He said, I said, what do you mean never done this before? He said, I never had outside people in our house before. I said, well, that's kind of, he lived in this little town neighborhood in Trenton. Trenton. The world, Trenton makes the world takes. And you're driving into Trenton, you're going, and then where are we? Rossi's Bar and Grill. I took my kids to Rossi's last time we were there. You step inside Rossi's, it's a different world. You've seen, oh, I shouldn't say that, but it's so bad. Goodfellas. So anyway, um, yeah, we had, and there was a special Joe DiMaggio room, and I know last time I said this, I can remember somebody said Joe DiMaggio's Yankees, by the way. So Joe DiMaggio can't kind of his friends, his Italian friends in this neighborhood. Anyway, we said, to, we said, you know, we're making small talk. Kirby is particularly good at this. Like, Kirby can, like, like I'm serious. This is, like, great. So everybody's nervous. So Kirby says, you know, something really clever, like, Hey, Mario, you know, it's Harriet. I said, he said, did you marry somebody from, from, from around here? He goes, oh, no. He said, no, no, I didn't. He said, he said, where's, he said well, where's Harriet from? He said, two blocks that way. <laughs> That's a true story, okay? So, you know, they had, and they had a rhythm to their life, which included on Friday night at the Villa Park Soldiers and Sailors Club, there'd be a red light outside, which meant the poker game was on. So Mario would get paid. He'd go play poker. Till about 2 a.m. Then he would come home, he would wake Harriet up, and she would make him a sandwich. (laughs) And they would sit and talk, have a cup of coffee, okay? Well, here's the thing. The problem is, I mean, come on, who wouldn't like a life like this, right? Well, we said one time, I said, you know, we said to him, how's the Villa Park Soldiers and Sailors Club going? He's going, he said, well, we're down to two members. I said, two members in a community like this? Everybody knows everybody. I said, what's that? He said, we... He said, we can't find anybody to meet our standards. To which I'm going, Missouri Senate. Why don't you have any new members? Well, we can't find anybody to meet our standards, right? One of the ways you die is, you know, on the one side you die. On one way that you die is you set a trajectory that just looks like the world. On another set, you set the bar so high that nobody could ever meet it, Right? So, I mean, that's all here. When you start to think about what it means to live in the image of Christ, it doesn't often look like what we think it looks like. This is what it looks like. It looks like being gentle. It looks like being loving. It looks like bearing one another's burdens. It looks like enduring with people. And I think there's only one story about Jesus tipping the tables over, which is always the go-to story. That happened one time. There are a few other ones where he gets cranky. If I were you... What I would do is just not pay any attention to the cranky stories for the next year in your life and see what difference it makes. Stop reading the... Every time you want to like, refer to the cranky story, your penance is you have to read two gentle stories. Okay? Just see if that won't change your life. Because that's more about Jesus than the other way.
okay? Because at the end of this exercise, what's the point? Why, why are you doing this? So that you'll be a good witness to the world. That's how Hebrews keeps talking. It's not just so you're faithful. It's so you're, that you're a good witness to the world. Right? People don't want to join a club where they can never, ever be good enough. Right? They'd rather let that kind of club die. And that, you see, is what's happened with the church. We haven't told our story well enough, lovingly enough, kindly enough. Frankly, we haven't lived our story well enough. We've been caught on the wrong side of too many issues. We've been too miserly. We've been too... I mean, I know, I know pastors whose parents grew up in congregations where white people and black people couldn't share the same common cup. Why would you join that congregation? Because Jesus doesn't know anything about that. Jesus likes, he's kind of interesting. He likes all kinds of people and all kinds of cultures and all kinds of shades, right? I'm just telling you, and this is Jesus right here. So I am spinning you around to 13.1. Let brotherly, here's here's your sort of punch list of things that you should be doing. It's like he's out of time and I want to get this in because I got a, I got a flight booked. And I got to move on. Let brotherly love, Philadelphia is the Greek word there for, you know, the, this notion of friendship, of enduring friendship. Basically, you're a stand-up person and you're not going to let people down. You're going to do what you say you do. You, you respect other people. You love other people. You look what's good. Let that keep going. Now, here, of course, the presumption, this is just like when Jesus says in Matthew, when you fast, he's presuming everybody's fasting. And he says, when you tithe, he presumes everybody is tithing. And when he says, when you give alms, he presumes everybody is giving alms. And when he says, let brotherly love continue, he's presuming that you already got brotherly love going. He presumes you're not going to screw the people you're sitting next to right here in the church. That you're going to be good for what you say. That we're all in it together. That we're going to try to let love predominate. And when we get it wrong, we're going to forgive. We're going to confess and then we're going to forgive, right? All that is wrapped up in, you know, let it remain. That word remain means basically you don't show at the door. You don't chase it away. So it's a great image because you know that Jesus already gives love as a gift through baptism and the Eucharist and the spoken word and the preached word and the liturgical word and the musical word through the icons and through the images. Jesus either delivers or extols the gift of love, of divine love. He puts it in place. You can't generate it yourself. It's a gift that you can love people you don't like. It is a gift that you can love people who've hurt you, that you can turn the other. That's a gift. Let it remain means let it endure, let it survive, let it flourish, keep it here, don't let it leave. Lock the doors, right? Right? And I give you the whole rationale because this is your real family, because these are your people, because water is thicker than blood, at least in the church. You know, blood is not thicker than water in the church. Water is thicker than blood. Your real family, your real people, are people with whom you've been baptized, with whom you've shared the chalice, right? So don't screw that up. Don't neglect, verse 2, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. That's one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture. Love strangers and angels. And sometimes they're the same. Love strangers and angels. You know, we have, you know, um, this was in my speech about not letting your kid 
go to the washroom alone. Um, so I'll reiterate that. I mean, it makes me crazy when I see kids going out. And you all should just sort of keep an eye on every kid. You should just keep an eye on every kid in the congregation. That's how things be safe. We're not alone with them. You shouldn't be alone with them. People shouldn't be alone except their parents. And people who have been vetted, you know, like a Val Gady sort. Talk about setting the high village park soldiers and sailors bar. <laughs> Val Gady. Okay, so uh, she's, you, do you think that we'll discover someday that Val's really a robot? Like that she's, you know, you've seen this where you go to hotels and you check in. Have you seen this? You check in and there's robots behind the desk. And now people are having trouble at first glance. Have you seen this? People are having trouble at first glance realizing that they're not real people. There's a, there are hotels in Japan. There are places around. You know, Val Gady, <laughs> she could be a robot. Okay, so, I, yeah, don't tell her I said that because that wouldn't be loving. But uh, to tell you, warn you, you know, and to tell you to be wonderful, I could be. Well, anyway, the whole point of that is, is um, you know, strangers and angels. Sometimes we get strangers walk through our door. Hey, there's nothing wrong with giving people who want her to our cup of coffee, letting them use the washroom. Although I will say a couple of times, you don't even know this, but we've had our, we've had our washrooms downstairs vandalized a couple of times. Uh, unpleasantly, and John has done a great job of, this hasn't happened for about a year or so, but when we talk about this, it's a real deal. So we're very concerned about everybody's safety, and we're very concerned about being good stewards of what we got. And you have to, you know, so you have to just pay attention. You can do this. It's just like anything else, you know. You just, you're kind to people as they come through the door. You give them what you can do, and then, you know, you keep going. And sometimes they might be an angel. You should keep that in the back of your mind, Okay. Some guy came in this week and said, I just got out of jail, I have directions, and I need uh, $37 to get to Aroma Park, which was great because Aroma Park was right next to Moments where my first parish was. So we quizzed him up a little bit. I'm like, completely legit, right? He's like, man, if I don't get to jail, or if I don't get to, he said, if I don't get home and check in, they're going to put me back in jail. We're like, for that, we can give you $37. That's all right, you know? So, I mean, you just, when people come in the door, just try to, the openness, you know, your own openness to strangers and angels, you know, just kind of think about that. And hospitality um, is the way of Jesus. Jesus, always the good host. And, of course, you think about, you know, the mystery of the Lord's Supper where the host is the supper, where Jesus, the host, also becomes the meal. Uh, Behind all this, of course, is all the Old Testament stuff. We were talking about Leviticus 19 kind of buzzing in the background. We were also talking about the ancient world, the emphasis on families and how when strangers came into town or guests came into town, they were part of your family. And as long as they stayed with you, they were part of your family. You were responsible for them for good or for ill. But the special shame involved if you didn't protect strangers, you know, this is part of the Sodom and Gomorrah story. It's not just the sex in that story. It's also the notion that you have responsibility for the, the vulnerable who come into your midst. Now we're all the way back to the sermon again, right? You have responsibility for these people. They belong to you. That's, that's all in here. Okay, so ping. Then the next one, three, remember those who are in prison as though you're chained to them. That's how it literally reads. Now, you remember when we went to Russia, um, one of the kind of frightening things about Russia is we always had to take our own. I don't, I don't think it's any better still. We would always take our own bandages, syringes, medicines, you know, injectables, you know, stuff that we take orally. We always, took, we always had one suitcase full of medicine. You know why? Because when you check into the hospital in Russia, especially the places where we were going way out in Siberia, you basically had what you brought. And your family was responsible for bringing you 
good food, good bandages, good medication. You have to secure that. The dentist, or the dentist, the doctor may say to you, this is what you need, and then say, but we don't have that, so good luck trying to get a hold of that, right? So one of the things that we would always take when we went to Russia is we'd take a footlocker full of medicines and we would leave it with the church. That's what it was like for people to be in prison. That's why this notion of pretend you're chained to them. Consider people in prison as if you're chained to them, which means you're going to eat what they eat, and you're going to get the care that they get, and you're going to get the medicines that they get. And now you can imagine this in a time of persecution when Christians are regularly put into, into prison. What's your responsibility as a church? Your responsibility as a church is to deliver that. So, for example, last year, one of the, one of the mistakes we've made kind of collectively here in the district is we shifted away a few years ago from people that we supported to a lot of programs, which now I'll speak politically, you can buy any program on the Internet, so we should probably shift back. And part of what the governing board did last year in the budget was to shift money back to a lot of people who had lost money. So there's a woman who works, a deaconess who's genius, who has access to state prisons in Illinois and goes in and teaches people. And we send her five or $10,000 a year. I can't even remember what. I think it's $5,000 a year. We decided to kind of give her $5,000 a year to do the work that she needs to do. Why? Because... That's the work that we should be doing as the church. The church is always, in Bernard Lonergan's quote that I love, the church always arrives slightly late and out of breath. Right? This is why I'm always nervous when the publishing house puts out software or, you know, somebody who's went to pastor school puts out a leadership program or something like that, because that's not what we do. In this congregation right now, in this room right now, there are 40 men and women who could write you up a leadership program before 5 o'clock, before dinner. And it would be part of what the church needs to do is use people in that way. The scriptures doesn't say, you know, the thing is I'm not against it. People need all kinds of programs, but that's not the strong suit of people who went to pastor school. The strong suit of people who went to pastor school should be welcoming strangers, seeing people in prisons, living in love, celebrating the Mass. That's what we're meant to do. And, and frankly, you know, over the course of the years, we've directed our money in those directions. That's why when we often say to you, we want to give money towards something, it's always people. It's summer school, it's, it's vacation Bible school in Russia, it's the, this high school for the aboriginal children. It is, it's always for something, it's for somebody to go do something, or somebody on the ground who needs that. Why? Because that's what we're supposed to do. That's our strong suit. That's what, and no, if we don't do that, nobody else is going to do it, Okay. You can, you, can, you, can, you can buy a leadership module off the Internet, you know, in 10 minutes. That's going to be way better than anything I could do for you. But to learn to read an icon, to understand the person next to you at the Eucharist is your sister or your brother, to mind your tongue, right? To be generous toward people. We went to, Kirby and I went yesterday to a couple other people there from church too. Thanks for going to Lutheran. Child family services, you know. I mean, I was, I was hooked on one line. It was a genius thing. Great venue, um, very punchy, done in one hour on a Saturday morning, full room. And I was, uh, one line is all I need, which she said, uh, Gene Svebakken, good guy, says, we served 40,000 people last year. I'm like, those are the Lutherans I want to be around. I want to be around people who served 40,000 people who are in prison, have been kicked out of, Julie Hall, who have adopted kids who need to be in foster homes, who whatever they do, that you got me. You know, here's the thing: if you if you serve forty thousand people, I'm yours. 
So, you know, that's what the church is meant to do. Okay, we got to go. Here's the thing. Just keep going. I'm going to try to swing you through the end of Hebrews. I really, really am. This is the first, the eighth. I think we only have a week left. Then we have two voters meetings. Come to the voters meetings. Come because you should just hear what's going on. Um, It's elections. It's governing board. It's fun. But mostly you should always be thinking about, given the resources that we have, you know, how can we do better? Well, there's a range of ways. We can increase our resources. We can increase our scope. We can... We can be more efficient. There's a range of things that we can do. But the point is, do them. Because more and more, we don't look like the world, right? It may not be a happy end, but it'll be a true end, right? And God knows there are things worth dying for, right? Especially for Christians, because death is not the end of the line, right? Death is just a big cleanup. And your life, whatever it's going to be, 60, 70, 80 years, is a relatively short period given eternity, Right? which is why, you know, saints and angels be praised. All right, got to go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See you soon.